Welcome to Follow Him, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping individuals and families with their Come Follow Me study. I'm Hank Smith. And I'm John, by the way. We love to learn. We love to laugh. We want to learn and laugh with you. As together, we follow Him. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Follow Him. My name is Hank Smith. I'm your host. I'm here with my loyal co-host, John, by the way. Welcome, John. Thank you. It's good to be yes. loyal. Yes, you are loyal. You are absolutely loyal in every way. Um, we want to remind everybody before we get started to come find us on social media, uh, on Instagram and Facebook, please. Uh, there's lots of extras on there. Maybe you haven't seen. Uh, we have a website, followhim.co, followhim.co. And we would love for you to rate and review the podcast. I think I covered it all there, John. Um, Big week this week, uh, Section 135 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Who's joining us, John? We, we're so glad to have uh, S. Michael Wilcox back with us again. And uh, we've, en- we've enjoyed having him before. I hope we'll have him again. I love his perspective and his beautiful way of putting things. And he has a very timely book recently uh, called Holding On that was, I think, published this year, 2021. And I thought, this is the most up-to-date bio that I could use to introduce Brother Wilcox. S. Michael Wilcox received his PhD from the University of Colorado and taught for many years at the Church's Institute of Religion adjacent to the University of Utah. He has spoken to packed crowds at BYU Education Week, has hosted tours to the Holy Land, to China, and to church history sites and beyond. In fact, he mentioned Antarctica when we were preparing. Um, And it's really hard to board the buses there, but it's a wonderful tour. Uh, Michael has also <laughs> served in a variety of callings, including bishop, counselor, and stake presidency, written many articles and books. He and his late wife, Laurie, are the parents of five children. So we're really glad to have you back. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. It's fun. I can't think of two people I'd uh, rather chat with Aww. than the two of Thank you, you, really. Well, that means dreams do come true because when, yeah. Yeah, and to talk about Joseph and Hiram, what could be a better a better way to spend a morning? Uh, when I was a young seminary teacher, I uh, I can't tell you how, how much I loved just being taught from uh, Brother Wilcox. I just would, it would be, I would love it for, for hours. He would, he would come and just help us learn the scriptures as young seminary teachers. And it was, it was a joy, really was. I, I, <laughs> I I'd never wanted it to stop. Eating was a burden, as Party would say. <laughs> uh, I didn't want it to end. I have uh, cassette tapes of uh, CES symposiums. Explain to some of our listeners what yeah, a cassette tape is, Yeah, they used to is, have it at BYU every August, I guess, a church educational system symposium with speakers, and they'd give yep. you a bunch of cassette tapes afterwards. And boy, one of my favorites, uh, Brother Wilcox, was... Uh, you just did a whole bunch of things about Peter, a whole bunch of lessons from Peter. I do remember. Yeah, Peter, I love Peter. He's so human. Yeah, that was a great cassette. So many insights. And never was humanity so great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, this this week's a little bit different in that we're going to actually have two guests this week. We're having Brother Wilcox on for Section 135, and then our friend uh, Richard Bennett will be here for Section 136, and that'll be in our uh, second part this week. Uh, but like I said, we are in Section 135, and there may be no more important section event uh, in 
the history of, of the church in the latter days in section 135. So, uh, Brother Wilcox, how do we want to approach this? If you were saying, hey, th- we want to get the most we can out of section 135, before we jump into the verses... Well, you can get the history in a lot of places. I always hate to include Higby's and Foster's and Law's and the expositor with the, uh, the beauty of Joseph Smith and Hiram. So I, I like to just take section 135 and, and not even the history of 135 because everybody knows it. They know what Hiram said. They know what Joseph said. It's written by John Taylor. Uh, what does section 135 teach me personally? Um, Joseph taught us a lot of things in the last part of his life, and I'll answer that question in just a second. Uh, and you've looked at some of those things in the previous uh, um, conversations you've had. Section 127, he teaches us to minimize our problems. Uh, we don't live in a world where people minimize their problems. And Joseph says in 127, as for the perils which I am called to pass through, they all seem but a small thing to me. Uh, it's all become a second nature. Joseph didn't feel like a victim, did he? Even in Carthage, he's going to take that attitude right into Carthage uh, to the last uh, moments of his life. Uh, he taught us to live joyfully. He taught us the spirits. That's, that's, you go to section 128, these, these last great sections, and he asks that wonderful question, now what do we hear in the gospel we've received? And then he answers it. I suppose you talked about that, a voice of gladness. He, he taught us to minimize trials and to live joyfully, that the gospel was out about joy and gladness. Uh, he sings the new song. He sings the song of redeeming love in the last part of section 128. Um, that he takes into, into Carthage, that, that same powerful idea. I, I think Joseph would say to us, from, I didn't go to Carthage for you to be miserable. I didn't go to Carthage for you to uh, be burdened under excessive expectations of perfection. I didn't go to Carthage for you to be full of guilt and sense of inadequacy. The gospel is about joy and happiness. I think Jesus would say the same thing from the cross. I didn't die to make you miserable. It's, it's about joy. It's a gospel of joy. So those ideas that, that lead up, uh, the sections that lead up, uh, uh, section 132, eternal marriage, um, the Danes say when two people will not love each other forever, their love isn't worth talking about, let alone worth celebrating. And so Joseph uh, ends uh, his life with minimize your trials uh, live in joy, uh, commit to one another, uh, uh, love is eternal. Uh, these are things that uh, were worth dying for in Carthage. So I hate to, to use, I hate to talk about Foster's and the Higbee's and Expositor and Governor Ford. I just almost hate to put Governor Ford in the same sentence, the same <laughs> period with section 135 so people can read about it um but to me 
uh, where I got all started. Section 135, Joseph, after teaching us so many beautiful things, is now going to teach us, he and Hiram, how to die and, uh, and what it is worth dying for. Hmm. Uh, there's a... That, that's that's kind of what I let's do it. I would go and and it's not negative it's not a negative thing there the one thing that everybody shares in life we all we all have different experiences but the one thing we're, we're all going to share is we're all going we're all going to face death there's a, a Hindu a great classic uh, set of riddles where one of the gods asks a king a number of questions, and he has to answer them and get them right. And the last question is, what is the greatest wonder on earth? And the answer is, every day people die, but nobody wakes up saying, today it may be me. So we, we, wanna, we, we wanna be ready. Hamlet says that uh, there is providence in the fall of a sparrow. Um, if it's not today, it it will come. Uh, the readiness is all. And when we get to section 135, he's ready. They are ready. And he teaches us how to be ready. The last great lesson of Joseph and Hiram is uh, how to be ready. Hmm. And so that's kind of where I usually go, right. but we can certainly talk about other things if you want. No, no, no. I, I, I want to go this direction. In fact, it would be a good, a good thing because we have a, a little bit of a sister podcast that I'll throw out there. Our friend, uh, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, uh, has a podcast and it's called The Standard of Truth. And uh, I think Garrett did, oh goodness, a few hours on the history of the martyrdom. Uh, I think it's his fourth, fifth, even a bonus episode there. So um, I we can encourage people to, hey, if you want to know about, you know, Governor Ford and John C. Bennett and all of these uh, infamous characters who this led up to um, the, the, the martyrdom of these two great brothers, then uh, there are plenty of resources out there. But since we have Dr. Wilcox here, John, let, let's let him Take off. Absolutely. I And I love this uh, approach already. I'm going, wow, what a wonderful way to look at this. Joseph was ready. Hiram was ready. What do they, what do they teach us about? Uh, this, this is a great way to about look being at it. Ready. So I'm, yeah. It's a beautiful section. Uh, there's just a lot of beauty in it. And uh, I brought a lot of stuff. I don't know how much we, we'll, we'll use that I usually ponder and think about when I come to section 125. Uh, the ending of this uh, this magnificent man and uh, what he teaches us at the end of his life. Oh, President Hinckley uh, was was not a big fan of Thomas Ford. <laughs> he would he would speak of that often uh, about how he felt the governor uh, had betrayed Joseph. Uh, and there's a great story that I heard from uh, Sister uh, Susan Easton Black who. Uh, who she, she said that at one point, Gordon, um, President Hinckley was visiting um, Springfield, Illinois, and uh, asked where the, the, the grave of Thomas Ford was. And uh, they went to show him and he pulled over and apparently he got out of the car, walked over to the grave and just gave it a, a lecture, gave the <laughs> he oh. gave the headstone <laughs> a lecture and they said, we didn't know how long this was going to last. John, have I told you this story? They said, no. we didn't know how long this was going to last as he's out there just kind of 
pacing back and forth and lecturing this headstone. Uh, and um, then uh, they said the window of the car rolled down and Sister Hinckley said, let it go, Gordon. Let it go. <laughs> John Taylor mentions the governor, but he doesn't give his name. He just says the broken faith of the governor <laughs> of Illinois. It's uh, he wouldn't even say his name. Yeah. They were so. Uh, I, that's always just been a story that I've enjoyed of Sister Hinckley saying it's okay. Maybe maybe we can all do that too. Let it go, everyone. Let we, it go. Maybe we got We need to forgive Governor Ford too. Yeah. If you are just brand new to our podcast, go back and listen to our, uh, John, you remember section 64 on forgiveness with, uh, that Mike was here with us last. Beautiful. Yeah. How much we learned about God being a delightful forgiver. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess, Mike, we're going to, we're going to basically hand the reins over to you and say, what oh, do you that's do? a dangerous, <laughs> that's a dangerous thing. You know, it's, um, the last great lessons of Jesus focus on on the same thing. Uh, those I love those words. They're from Hamlet. The readiness is all. The the readiness is all. Whenever it comes, Jesus's last lessons. He also taught us uh, how to die. Um, he died in forgiveness. You think about what he said from the cross. He died in forgiveness. He died in comforting others. He died in obedience to his uh, father. Uh, we, we just look at so many wonderful uh, just things, uh, sometimes at the end. Beginnings are wonderful things. The first vision is a beautiful thing. The beginning, uh, Carthage, is a beautiful thing. It's a terrible thing. Oh, Maybe share a, a line from a, po a poem by Yeats that uh, I think about when I come to the end of section 135. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing also. Beginnings and endings are both uh, lovely things. And in, in that sense, they, they teach us. So how does Joseph Smith and how do Hiram go? Well, I, I'd start in verse 4. We'll come back to verse 1 and... Uh, and uh, three, and and talk about what he died, what they died for, because that's the second question I always think about when I come to these. In verse four, when Joseph went to Carthage to deliver himself up to the pretended requirements of the law, you know, I mean, John Taylor's uh, angry. Uh, uh, Section one thirty five is written in you know pretty much typical nineteenth century, a little bit hyperbole. Uh, but he, he's upset with, uh, by rights. Two uh, or three days previous to his assassination, he said, I am going like a lamb to the slaughter. Now, I don't want to go that way, but I want to go. I want to live so that whenever it comes, I can say at the end of my life, I am calm as a summer's morning. I have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards all men. Wouldn't it be lovely to live every day? And uh, I sense Joseph and Hiram saying to us across the age of the century, live your life in such a way that 
if it came tomorrow, right? Uh, the Hindu thing, everybody, the greatest wonder is that everybody knows people die every day, but nobody believes it's going to be them. The readiness is all. I want to live my life so that every morning I'm calm as a summer's morning with a conscience void of offense towards God and towards all men. Then he says, I shall die innocent. And I know he's meaning in that a number of things. I, I know he's meaning innocent of breaking any law. You know, he went to Carthage first on a charge of riot. If we want a little history, they paid a $7,500 bail to get everybody out of jail. They were leaving. They were going to get back to Nauvoo. And then they changed the charge to treason, for which there was no bail, which puts him in, in, in the jail. Uh, they were not going to let him leave Carthage. So I know I, I shall die innocent means I've not really broken any laws, but I also like that idea. We are born innocent in life. He teaches that back in section 93. We are born innocent. He overturns the whole idea of original sin. We are born innocent. Uh, I should like to think that uh, we will die innocent. You know, my wife, uh, just before she died, said something beautiful to me. She was a typical LDS woman. Um, she lived with a, a lot of inadequacies and guilts and things, you know, I, like we all do. But she said, uh, for the first time in my life, I feel no guilt. I feel no shame. She died innocent. And I think that's the way God wants us to come back into his presence. I think uh, things happen uh, and in those last moments, I think there's a final baptizing. If we've tried hard, if we've lived the best we can, I don't think we go into the spirit world carrying anything. I think uh, we leave it and we die. We die innocent. There's two things that I wish we, uh, John Taylor had put in here. Um, from uh, Carthage. Uh, one of them is the letter that Joseph writes to Emma, uh, where he says, I am resigned to my fate. I think Joseph sensed he was going to die. Uh, great men generally sense it. Uh, Lincoln had an interesting dream. Uh, he sensed the end was coming. Martin Luther King Jr. sensed the end was coming. Gandhi sensed the end was coming. Uh, Joseph sensed the end was coming. And he, and he writes that to Emma, I am resigned to my fate, knowing I have done the best I could. And we want to live that way, uh, that any day, every day we can say, uh, Joseph wasn't perfect, um, but he did the best he could. And when you do the best you can, you die innocent. Uh, I believe that's true of all of us. I believe it was true of my wife. I'm certainly hoping it will be true of me. Mike, um, I, I wanted to mention one thing that I, I think you taught me before is also that 
that same type of attitude from the Savior when Judas, um, he he criticizes uh, Mary. Do you remember he's uh, being anointed? I and, do. I love that story. He says, she has done what she could. What she could. Yeah, Mark 14, she has done what she could. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. Uh, um, maybe at the end, I also brought Teddy Roosevelt. So okay. I got just about everybody here <laughs> that helps me create the emotion and the power uh, that I like uh, people to get out of Section 135 that I try and get out of it. Uh, the second thing that I wish uh, John Taylor had included, again, from the history, uh, was uh, one of Joseph's last desires. Uh, do you remember what that was? Uh, he wanted to teach the saints one more time. Uh, I think uh, readiness is always desiring to do a little more good with your life. Uh, when we come to the end, uh, we always want to do a little more good. Uh, Dickens in A Christmas Carol says, no life is sufficient for all the good of which it is capable. We always want to do a little more good. Joseph just wanted to do a little more good. That's We want to live every day that way. Uh, it's Moses. I call it the Mount Nebo moments. There is Moses up on Mount Nebo. He can see the Jordan River and the promised land. And he pleads with God, let me, let me do a little more, Lord. I just want to take him across. I just want to see that goodly mountain and help my people get to that goodly mountain. And Moses died, wanting translated, what, whichever one you want, died wanting to help people see the goodly mountain. Joseph Smith died wanting to help people see the goodly mountain. I just want to talk to him one more time. Uh, I did bring, uh, I, I mentioned Martin Luther King Jr., one of my favorite people, one of the great Americans. I think it's interesting that America has a lot of holidays, but only one is in honor of an individual. Uh, and that individual we chose to honor as a holiday in honor of a person is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And he talked about David, another person who just wanted to do a little more good. He just wanted to build a temple, wasn't able to build a temple. Uh, I think Joseph uh, would have loved to have taken the saints west. I think he would have loved to have seen the Nauvoo Temple finished. I think he would have loved to have seen them in a situation where they were safe from their enemies. Just, I just want to do a little more. We, it's a very human emotion. And Martin Luther King, one month before his death, his assassination in Memphis, talked about David's desire to build a temple and not being able to finish it. And in the scriptures, the Lord says to him, it was well that it was in your heart. It's just good that there was in your heart this desire to want to do more. Just to do a little more. Let him help him see the goodly mountain. Just, And so he says in a speech called Unfulfilled Dreams, so many of us in life start out building temples. Temples of character. Temples of justice. Temples of peace. 
And at so many points, we start, we try, we set out to build our various temples. And I guess one of the great agonies of life is that we are constantly trying to finish that which is unfinishable. We are commanded to do that. And each of you this morning in some way is building some kind of temple. The struggle is always there. It gets discouraging sometimes. It gets very disenchanting sometimes. Well, that is a story of life. And the thing that makes me happy, I think Joseph died happy. I think Jesus died happy. I think Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane was also he loved life. He loved the people around him. He would have liked to have lived another year and taught another year. This is a, a quality, great people experience. They are never satisfied. They always want to do a little more. And if that hunger is in me, that's a good sign. Uh, The readiness is all. I'm ready. I was just going to say, Mike, it reminds me of my my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, and uh, her last few weeks alive, she was suffering with cancer, and um, it hurt her to hold the uh, a, a needle, but she still wanted to finish some quilts for her grandchildren, right? And so she would just hold that needle, and, and it would hurt her to hold it, you know, to to pinch it. But and, the, and each stitch was getting harder and harder. But she's trying to get out every little piece of goodness. We we all want to be useful. Yeah, we just want to do a. It's a very common thing for great people, who uh, for all of us, common people. Uh, it just reminds me, you're quoting uh, Shakespeare and all these great men, and, and uh, I, I'm reminded of wisdom I got from a refrigerator magnet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there we so, go. Have magnets give good Somewhere I saw, uh, you only live once, and that's question mark. You only live once, question mark. No, you only die once. You live every day. When I think of the hymn, have I done any good in the world today? I don't know about you guys, but I always think of President Monson because he just always seemed to be finding someone else he could serve and reach out to and send a note to or whatever. And uh, one time I was at a timeout for women and a, a, a sister held up her phone and showed me. She got an alert every single morning that said, who needs me today? And it didn't say, does someone need me today? And it just said, who needs me today? And then she would find something. She would kind of pray about that and find something she could do, even if it were a simple thing like a, a text message or a phone call or something. But I, I really love this, uh, this idea of doing the best you can every day and kind of that, that mindset and that, that hunger. And being joyful, like I say, minimize your trials, pass through. Joseph says, the trials I'm called to pass through. Those are Eve's words right at the beginning of history. It is better for us to pass through sorrow, but we pass through it. Anyway, let me me just finish this uh, thing with with, uh, Martin Luther King. He says, the thing that makes me happy is that I can hear a voice crying through the vista of time saying, It may not come today or it may not come tomorrow, but it is well that it is within thine heart. It is well that you are trying. You may not see it. The dream may not be fulfilled, 
but it's just good that you have a desire to bring it into reality. It's well that it was in thy heart. Uh, I think Joseph uh, felt that way, and, and if, I f if I can live that way, I will die innocent. I will die calm as a summer's morning. I will die with a conscience void of offense towards God and towards all men. And I will, more important, I will live that way. So he's teaching us some wonderful things in, in those, some of his last phrases, some of the last words we get from Joseph Smith. Uh, the letter to Emma here in section 135 and some of the things that he said to those uh, men who were, who were around him. Uh, we go to Hiram. Hiram also teaches us some of those same things. Uh, he turns down a page uh, in his Book of Mormon to the 12th chapter of Ether. One of the great moments of my life was being able to hold that book of, of more, Hiram's Book of Mormon and, and open it to the page that he turned down. And Hiram's final message to us is a quote from the Book of Mormon. So he takes the scriptures to express his emotions uh, as he faces these last moments of his life, and he ponders the way he's lived and what may happen to him in Carthage. So we go to verse 5. He's quoting Ether. Uh, Moroni speaking, It came to pass, I prayed unto the Lord that he would give unto the Gentiles grace, that they might have charity. That's not a bad way to live our lives, praying even that our enemies, you know, in this case, might have grace, that they might have charity. And it came to pass that the Lord said unto me, If they have not charity, it mattereth not unto thee, thou hast been faithful. I think uh, one of the great things I learned from uh, Hiram here in, in his quotation is it doesn't matter what others do. Uh, what matters is that you have been faithful. If I could just get that into the mind of a lot of Latter-day Saints I love who are wrestling with various things, it doesn't matter whether others have charity or not whether they understand you or not, how they treat you or not, uh, whether they've offended you or not. In this case, they're going to kill him. What matters is that we have been faithful. And I think of uh, that's the last conversation of Jesus with Peter and John the Beloved at the end of the New Testament, John chapter 21 after Jesus asks uh, Peter if he loves him, and Peter answers three times that he does love him. And then Jesus uh, tells him, at the end of your life, uh, you'll be crucified. Uh, follow me. Uh, it's a very ominous follow me. He, he's in the same place where Jesus first told him to follow him on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. That first follow me was, follow me, to learn, follow me, to teach. Now he's saying when you're at the end of your life, if you feed the sheep, if you do what I am asking you to do, they're going to do to you what they did to me. They're going to, to, to crucify you. 
which has got to be a heavy burden for Peter to carry all his life. He knows that's coming. Well, John is following behind, John the Beloved. And Peter turns around, and, 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 and Peter is, like I say, so magnificently human. We're always interested in everybody else's business. And he says, what shall this man do? Now, you can't get two wider ends of the continuum than a man who's going to, at the end of his life, die of crucifixion, Peter, and a man at the end of his life is not going to taste of death, John. Uh, that's a pretty wide, uh, wide difference. And, and Jesus says to Peter, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. That's what I call the last follow me of Jesus. And the last follow me is saying, it doesn't matter what other people do. It doesn't matter what happens in their life. That's between me and them. What matters is how you have followed. That's it. And the Lord is saying that. Uh, Hiram grabs that idea. I pray they'll be charitable. I pray that other people will be good, that they'll treat me well, but it doesn't matter how they treat me, what they say to me, how they offend me. I will follow. The Savior is saying, follow thou me. Uh, you've been faithful, Hiram. And that's an important way to live our lives. It's a very hard lesson to, le to learn because we always are letting other people impinge on our faith and how we believe and how we follow. And, and Jesus saying to Peter and Hiram, turning that down is grabbing that principle and telling us at the end of your life, you just want to be able to say at the end of every day, no matter what people do or say to you, I just want to always be able to say, today, I followed. I followed. I followed in spite of opposition. I followed in spite of criticism. I followed in spite of unanswered prayers. That I, I followed in spite of, uh, of uh, unfulfilled dreams. I, I followed. I followed to the very end. You know, this reminds me of, uh, this is, you're, you're quoting Ether, which is Moroni who abridged it, right? And, and then right, later, yeah. when Moroni wants to share with us, hey, this is a, the transcript of a talk my father Mormon gave, and here's a couple of letters from my father, and in Moroni 9.6, which is a, a, an epistle of Mormon, I love this beginning of verse 6, now my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently. And it just reminded me of that same thing. They can't focus on them, notwithstanding them. Let's let us do this. And that's exactly the same point, I think. that. And, and here's the cool thing there is, this is Moroni. He always seemed to feel, I don't know, what, what are the Gentiles going to do? They're going to mock and, and please bless them with grace so that they won't. And then he repeats that thing from his father in Moroni 9. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful cross-reference. Uh, things that are important for us to learn in the scriptures, uh, God repeats. He, he repeats it. He, um, he says, I don't want you to miss this because it's such a key, it's such a key to life. Um, we go back to that fifth verse, uh, wherefore thy garments shall be made clean 
And then these words, because thou hast seen thy weaknesses, thou shalt be made strong, even unto the sitting down in the place which I prepared in the mansions of my father. Uh, I think there is readiness in seeing our weakness. Um, I'm grateful that that is, is in there. Uh, because I certainly have seen my weaknesses. Uh, I, I go back to that, that address by Martin Luther King. He says, I don't know this morning about you, but I can make a testimony. You don't need to go out this morning saying that Martin Luther King is a saint. Oh, no, I want you to know this morning that I'm a sinner like all of God's children. But I want to be a good man. And I want to hear a voice saying to me one day, I take you in and I bless you because you try. It is well that it was within thy heart. I accept you. You are a recipient of my grace because it was in your heart. And it is so well that it was within thy heart. Just that idea, we're trying We've seen our weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. I'm going to carry weaknesses into the next life. Um, but I think God is pleased that I'm aware of them and that I'm trying and that uh, in those mansions he's prepared, I think he says, we'll take care of those in time, Mike. We'll, we'll take care of those in time. It's not just all mortality. Uh, I go back to that fifth uh, verse again with Hiram. He said, I bid farewell unto the Gentiles, yea, and also unto my brethren whom I love. Readiness is in loving people to come to the end of, uh, of life and, uh, and have uh, love. Uh, there's a... a a passage in uh, uh, King Richard III, one of Shakespeare's plays. Richard has lived a very selfish life. Uh, he's lived a murderous life. He's lived a life for power. And uh, when you live a life like that, when you live a life without loving, uh, you end up this way. I, I use it as a contrast to Hiram bidding farewell to his brethren whom he loves until we shall meet before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, anyway, this is what Shakespeare writes. Richard is uh, at the end of his life. He's going to die in battle the next day. And he says, I shall despair. There is no creature loves me. And if I die, no soul shall pity me. Nay, wherefore should they? since that I myself find in myself no pity to myself. Uh, what, a, what a sad ending uh, to die loving no one and being loved by no one, not even loving yourself. Uh, <clears throat> no one that you hope to meet again in the hereafter. So, uh, you know, there's a, 
Muhammad was, the Prophet Muhammad was once uh, asked, what will help you in the hereafter? And he gave a number of answers. Uh, knowledge that you have taught was one of the things that would help you in the hereafter. Charity that you have given, but also I loved his last one, the prayers of a child in your behalf, a righteous child in your behalf that you have, have raised. So the readiness is all. And we live in readiness every day. And one of the readinesses is that we love and that we are loved and that we have expectations of meeting those we love uh, again uh, in, in the hereafter. And what a blessing to just believe that that's possible. I mean, that that love will continue, that our relationships will continue. What, uh, I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like not to believe that they continue, you know? Uh, I think of my mom and dad every day. My mom passed away in December, and uh, and thankfully, I just, I, I totally expect, you know, to to see them again and and to feel that again and Hank you've lost people and Michael you've talked about that um so glad that there's that expectation there yeah i think we want to die in in love there's a a beautiful uh <clears throat> scene in uh, little women louisa may alcott's little women uh, all the women you know Certainly, uh, American women have grown up on uh, Alcott's uh, Little Women. Uh, when Beth dies, and uh, she dies in love, you know, she dies saying, I don't mind going. Um, I think probably, again, I relate this to Jesus and to Joseph. Uh, she says, I don't mind dying. I don't mind going. I'm going to a good place, but I shall miss you. Um, she says to her sister Joe, I, I will miss you even in in heaven. And I think Hiram says that. I say farewell to my brethren whom I love, and I will miss them. Uh, I once uh, went to the temple uh, thinking about Laurie, and uh, I think about her all the time, every day, and uh, kind of asked her, uh, is it beautiful where you are? and felt that answer, you're not here. Um, are you happy, Laurie? And felt the answer, I miss you. And I, I think that's uh, true. I think Hiram and Joseph, uh, I think those on the other side miss us, love us just like we love them. We want to die with those relationships intact. Husband, wife, parent, child, friends, uh, brothers, I think it was a grace of God that he let Hiram go with Joseph. Um, as I, I sensed John Taylor sensed that power in when he says in life, um, they were not divided in death, they were not separated. Hiram got to go with the brother he loved, jo Joseph got to go with the brother he loved. And, uh, you know, there would be those on the other side. So we, there's readiness if we love.
and we want to live in love. And the beautiful thing about the Latter-day Saint faith is that uh, we have enshrined as our highest ordinance in the most holy and sacred of all places, uh, e eternal love. Uh, Latter-day Saints take serious what love itself by its very nature demands, that it be eternal and everlasting and, and not ending. So I love that my brethren whom I love. And then the last thing uh, I get from Hiram is, at the judgment, all men will know my garments are not spotted with your blood. Now that's kind of a metaphorical language. Uh, I think what uh, I, I get out of that particular phrase is, Hiram is saying, I was not part of the problem of humanity and earth life. I was part of the solution. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to go feeling th that I've left somebody hurt, that I've hurt somebody by my actions, my decisions. Now, we're all going to do that. We're going to bump up against each other. And we're going we're to hurt one another. But we want to try and do, uh, we want to be a healer. Uh, Camus wrote at the end of one of his books, uh, I, I if I can't be a saint, I, I, I want to be a healer. Uh, I want to be part of the solutions to Earth's problems. I don't want to be part of the cause of Earth's problems. Uh, I want to go saying at the judgment, uh, I've not spotted, your, nobody's blood is on me, okay? And by blood, I, I, I don't think, it, you know, like I said, it's a metaphorical language. I have been part of the solution to human suffering. I have not been part of, of the problems. You know, when I was uh, a kid in seminary at Highland Seminary, I don't remember who it might have been. I had Larry Gelwicks for when I was 16, the, the Highland rugby coach. He recruited me heavily for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, somebody showed Star us. Star player. That'd be me. I was about the size of the ball. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, somebody showed me George Albert Smith's Creed. And I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but there's something about like 10 statements or something. And I, I just remember a couple of them. One of them was, I would be a friend to the friendless, which had a big impact on me in high school. And another one was that reminds me of my garments are not spotted with your blood. I would not be an enemy to any living soul. They're dying that way. I mean, they're they're hated, uh, but I don't think they hate. I'm going to change the subject just a little bit. It's interesting to me the song that Joseph and Hiram wanted sung. Uh, a poor wayfaring man of grief. It's so intermingled with the martyrdom that uh, it's hard to talk about the martyrdom and not think about that song. And there's a message in that song that seems so appropriate to think about uh, when we talk about people giving their lives, uh, sacrificing their lives uh, for something they believed in. Uh, now, when you give your, your life for something, that doesn't mean what you gave it for is, is true. You know, sometimes we, we, we say that uh, 
they seal their testimony with their blood. That's true. I'm not trying to belittle or diminish that. Uh, it, a lot of people have died for things that, that may not have been the best things to die for. But what it does say in the case of Joseph and Hiram and, and, and many others is that they are sincere. Uh, he's not a fraud. He's not a deceiver. Uh, he's willing to give his life for this. Uh, uh, it is sincere. He is sincere. And a poor wayfaring man teaches a wonderful lesson in, in all of the verses, uh, the, the, except the introductory verse. I, I won't go through the entire hymn, but what it teaches is that there really is, in the eyes of God, no such thing as sacrifice in the way that commonly we think of sacrifice. Benjamin in the Book of Mormon got that message where he said, I can't thank God and I can't serve him enough because when I thank and I serve, he gives more. So here at the end of their lives, these two men that have given and sacrificed and suffered so very, very much and there's this exclamation point of truth contained in a poor wayfaring man of grief as a, a statement about their lives. And the verses say, you gave me bread. I give you the bread of life so that I never hunger. You gave me water. I give you living water so you'll never thirst anymore. You, I mean, I could read the, ver the, the lines, but I think, I think people know if you take that hymn out and, and look at it. Um, I give him my couch the stormy night. I gave him my bed to lay in my home. He gives me Eden. I concealed my own hurts and wounds to heal him. I healed his body. He healed my broken heart. It's hard for me to read those and think about them. That's why I'm not reading it. I read this. I'll start crying when I read a poor way for a man of grief, especially when I was just in Carthage a few weeks ago. Uh, not because Joseph and Hiram died, but because of the, the message that God is giving in that hymn to them and to us. And then the last part, um, I give my life. He asked if I for him would die, which is exactly what is asked of those two men. And uh, I give him my life. And the Savior says, I, uh, he gave me his life. I speak his name without shame before the world. And he speaks my name without shame before the Father. Um, earlier in the Doctrine and Covenants, Jesus says, I will stand before the Father and say, this is Michael Wilcox, my brother, my friend. He calls him friends all through the Doctrine and Covenants, who believed in me, right? Accept them, Father, into our presence. So I look at those, uh, the 
the lines, the message of a poor way for a man of grief, so appropriate. And I say, where's the sacrifice? Uh, whatever I give, God gives back greater. He gives back in higher intensity. And so, yes, they gave, uh, they gave their lives. Um, but what they got was, uh, was greater than anything we can ever give. That's how we're ready when we understand that truth. That's beautiful. It, it reminds me a little bit of how do we feed these 5,000? Well, bring what you have and I will multiply it by a thousand, you know? <laughs> right. <clears throat> or the brother of Jared, right? The brother of Jared. Uh, here's my idea. Rocks. I can, let me give you light, right? I will give you light. And there's no greater, greater example than Joseph's whole life. You know, people uh, sometimes criticize him and, uh, and he was human. But I say of Joseph, as I say of Peter, never was humanity more magnificent in so many ways. Joseph brought his five loaves and his two fishes. Uh, Joseph brought his uh, stones, his molten stones. Joseph brought uh, his little barrel of oil, a little barrel of flour like the widow of Seraphath and, and the little cruise of oil. Uh, he brought the vessel of oil in another Old Testament story. He, he brought his five loaves and his two fishes, and God multiplied them. And what, what God did with this boy um, was, was magnificent. Not, not perfect, but magnificent in, in, in all that he did. Jeannie and Hiram are teaching us about living so that uh, the readiness is all. Um, he also we also learn uh, what did he die for? And I think that's a, a very specific thing that is taught in section 135 and therefore would have a very specific application as to what I'm supposed to do with it. Please join us for part two of this podcast.